You're listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Good to see you all in the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord, somebody. Ah, this side was weak. We're going to beat this side, okay? Praise the Lord, everybody. All right, that was better. It is an honor and a privilege to spend some time together in the Word of the Lord. If you're joining us online, we're honored to have you. Just tweet or text or comment, amen, wherever you are. And if you're in your living room, just, you know, go ahead and dance and shout and let it all out. So uh, since you're at home, you can let it all out. So uh, enough about that. We'll move right along. Um, Let's see. We are in number two of a summer series called Storm Season. You will know uh, if you are up on the news all at all, every summer we have uh, this huge sequence of storms all around the world, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes. In California, they have fire storms, which I'm going to let them have that. I have no interest in fire storms at all. Uh, just it's storm season, and we live through it every year, and it's natural and normal, and even so, We learn spiritual lessons from it. So today, our our subtitle for the series is Rigging for the Storm, which I'll explain more. One housekeeping item, uh, every year in August, we bless the community around us, the needy families. We bless them by giving their children new backpacks full of school supplies for the coming year. Uh, the planning session for that, uh, the big one of the big planning sessions and training sessions is today after this service, right across the parking lot in the Life Center. And so I just want to encourage you, particularly those of you who don't have some specific uh, area where you're volunteering, remember, uh, following after Jesus is the opposite of serving the self. That is, um, the opposite of Jesus is not the devil. The opposite of Jesus is the self. The devil just shows us the path to serve the self. I've preached about that a lot, but he doesn't have power over you. Remember Adam and Eve, but he lures you into his way of exalting the self. I will be like God. What did Lucifer say? I will ascend to heaven. I will be like the most high. It's about me, me, me. Jesus is the opposite of that, and that's why he said, if any man would come after me, First, let him deny himself and then take up his cross. That is your purpose, your calling, what you can do to make a broken world whole and then follow after Jesus Christ. But that's another message you've heard me preach. I just want to tell you this is an opportunity for you to get out of self-service and get into showing the goodness the charity, the love of God to other people, and we need volunteers, so somebody say amen. Amen. All right, our theme scripture, Proverbs 17, verse number three, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. The Lord tests the heart. I want to speak on behalf of all the pastoral team here at First Church, and I want to say to you, that as a team, we want to bless you. We want to speak God's blessings into your life. We believe that you are intentionally equipped, you are intentionally placed, and you have ministry and purpose in your life, in your hands. We want to join our hearts 
with you in this ministry and in this purpose, and we want to see you become who God intended you to become, and can the church say amen? So if all of us are admitting to the reality of adversity in our life, and if all of us see how in a teaching parable, a teaching metaphor, the Bible uses storms to show us something about adversity and struggle in our life, then you will understand why we can take a series entitled Storm Season and grow spiritually from it in our individual lives. Last week, uh, I preached, uh, boiled down to three basic points. Number one, um, life is full of adversity. Uh, Life is full of storms. Storms are hard. That's point number one. Point number two is, yes, storms are hard, but God is good. And God uses the storms of our life to bring about his will not to destroy to bring about his purpose, not to damage or harm. And then finally, uh, our faith is contested for. We fight for our faith through the battlefield of these uh, storms, through the adversity of our life. And so today, I want to take the same image and look at how we overcome the storm, how we survive the storm. And to start with, let me, let me tell you a story. Um, around the perimeter of our church property are uh, trees that are called Bradford pear trees. Now, uh, in the spring, as many of you know, if you've attended here in the spring, uh, these Bradford pear trees are just glorious with white flowers. They just explode. And if you are like me, you, you see them, you want to pause, you want to enjoy them, you might even take pictures of them. They're beautiful. Uh, the interesting thing about Bradford pears is in the winter, they're, they're, they're almost dangerous. They're real messy. Every time there's a nice storm, they splinter, they break. In fact, in Charlotte, according to the regulations by the city arborist, you didn't know the city has an arborist because maybe you haven't submitted plans to the city, but it does. And if you want to submit a landscaping plan, you can no longer plant Bradford pears in the city of Charlotte because of the ice problem and the splitting of them. Now, ours are grandfathered in, and although the city wishes we would cut them down, I think they're pretty enough to keep, and um, that's just how that hasn't happened. One year, we'll do something else, and I will have some big uh, project, and you understand. But these trees uh, are, are beautiful in the spring, and there is uh, one that is somewhat famous. Uh, it was planted in the early 70s right by building number five of the World Trade Center. You know what happened at the World Trade Center at 9-11-2001. Uh, the, the towers fell, and it destroyed uh, this, uh, all of, of course, the landscaping around it, and with that destroyed this Bradford pear tree. Uh, that is there in the very shadow of building number five. And as they cleaned up the site, they found this tree. And the only part of it that wasn't shattered uh, was an eight-feet section of the trunk going into the ground. Everything else had been shredded and ripped. And because of the memorial and because of the memory Uh, Some of the uh, arborists and botanists decided they'd try to save the tree, and they took it out of that place, and they put it in a uh, a nursery, and they began to care for it. And 
to their, as a result of their efforts, that tree uh, began to sprout again, and with the correct trimming, they were able to make it structurally whole again, and they replanted it at the World Trade Center, and uh, people knew about it and began to celebrate it, and they named the tree Survivor. Well, here's the thing about surviving one storm. There's always another one coming, right? 2010, there's a freak storm that comes through New York City. And because of the shape of the buildings and because of the way the storm came in, right down through the buildings, they had over 100 mile an hour winds, which knowing Bradford Pears just busts them to pieces. And this tree was once again destroyed. But by now, the tree wasn't just a tree, it had an identity, it was, uh, it was valued. In fact, a habit had started of people remembering their lost loved ones on 9-11, tying ribbons on this tree and they, called Survivor. Destroyed again, so they said, we're going to try again, and they did the same thing. They reshaped it, they, they, they did all the things that you would do to try to save uh, this Bradford pear, and they, they lifted it, they sprayed it with water continually to try to manage the shock of it. If you're, you know, in uh, shock, maybe you can go out in your yard and spray yourself with a water hose. I don't know. It may work for you. <laughs> Works well for trees, and it lowered its stress and its shock, and they cut away all of the damaged and, 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 and broken pieces, and Guess what? It survived again, and this time they planted it at the 9-11 memorial site in New York City. Now, there was a big criticism about this because there's no other Bradford pear trees at this site, and if you've done anything at all, you know that everybody has an opinion and everybody has a Facebook account, and uh, so everybody criticizes anything you do, and that's fine for them. God bless them, and may they you know, get a mild cold soon. Um, but <laughs> just having fun. I said mild cold, not a serious one. Um, they, a lot of criticism about that. If you go to the site, you'll see one Bradford pear. And no other tree will match it. But you'll notice as you get closer, it'll have a plaque. And the name of that Bradford pear will be called Survivor. And if you look closer, you'll notice that tied all over this tree are ribbons of people remembering their, their loved ones that that they lost. Storms are real, but you can survive the storm. It may take some special care. Can I get a witness? <laughs> it may take some uh, special nourishment, but I know a gardener who knows exactly what you need. And he knows how to put you in a nourishing place. And he knows how to give you the water of life until it literally springs up within you. I know the one who knows how to save you. We are looking at the life of Daniel as an example of someone who has had their world, as it, as it were, just kind of fall in upon itself. Now, this week I thought a good bit about how oftentimes we read the story of Daniel as though he is the center of attention and not seeing him uh, fairly as a, a young man who is, he feels like he's lost in the world. So uh, if you'll allow me to nerd out here for a moment, I'm going to give you a real quick geographical overview of empires in uh, the 6th, uh, 7th, in, in, in later centuries B.C. so you'll understand how Daniel has ended up in this situation. Most of you know on a world map where Egypt is, and 
Uh, you know the curve of the Mediterranean Sea as it, I'll try to do it from your perspective, okay? So here we have Egypt, here we have the Mediterranean Sea as it curves up. If you took a giant marker and you drew a, a, an A starting in Egypt and you drew up the line of the Holy Land along the Mediterranean Sea and stopped in the very southern end of Turkey, that was your upstroke of your A. So we're looking this way and you're upstroking your A from Egypt up to southern Turkey, um, that is the upstroke of your A. Now you're going to do the same thing. You Egypt up to southern Turkey, and this time you're going to go down to your right, and you're going to go down to the Persian Gulf, and that is through the, the, the river delta of the Tigris and the Euphrates River, and that will take you all the way down uh, to the southern end of modern Iraq. So starting in Egypt, you just, you just drew an A up. Now, let me explain this. Over here, you have the first empire you need to understand to really understand the ancient world as we read in the Scripture, and that is Egypt. It's this, this first stroke, the bottom of the first stroke of A. It goes up through the Holy Land, up to southern Turkey, up here. This top part of the A you have drawn, this is the arena of the Assyrian Empire, okay? Egypt to Assyria, and you drew another stroke down this side through that river delta, that's Babylon. Before you get down to the Persian Gulf, that's Babylon. So you have three ancient kingdoms. You have Egypt, you have Assyria, and you have Babylon over here. And through this holy land arena that we read about, these three great empires will push against each other. They will fight each other. They will do battle. It will happen primarily militarily, but it will also be economic. It will also be uh, technology. For some years, they'll get certain advantages. Uh, they will discover chariots. They'll discover... You get the idea. And through these empires, ancient history is fought over. And in the middle of this, in the middle of the first upstroke of A you made from Egypt up to the Assyrian Empire, right in the middle of that is the Holy Land. And so these armies march back and forth. They're not primarily interested in the Holy Land itself. Only as a strategic land bridge between empires, that's, it. that's its primary value uh, to them. And so uh, it is in this contest of empires that the children of Israel are destroyed. It's not even about them. Uh, it is, it's about the con contest of empires. And uh, they have first conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and they put a vassal king on the throne, and... Uh, the prophets are at work, and Jeremiah is there. He's prophesying. And in that royal court, if you really want to get into the Scripture, you can read more on this. But in this royal court, there's disagreement over which empire are they going to align with, what is in their best value. Egypt and Assyria are the closest, and they have formed an alliance, a group of allies and uh, so it's natural for this king of Israel, stuck between these two empires, to say we're going to align with them. Jeremiah speaks the word of the Lord, says this is a bad idea. They're going to fall. It would be better for you if you would align with 
uh, Babylon. Now, if you did not know this, this is totally fine. Uh, I know people that have been around church their whole life, and they did not really look into the geopolitics of this moment. But I'm trying to show you something about Daniel. And so in this court, this is a mistake. Now, the prophet told him not to do it. You should align with Babylon. They ignore the prophet. They stay with Assyria and Egypt. This famous battle, I can't remember the name of it. It's like Chelsum or something like that. Uh, starts with a C-H, and it is where the Babylonian Empire destroys, defeats in mass uh, on the battlefield the armies of the Assyrian and the Egyptian Empire, and they take over the governorship of that whole world. Part of that is their destruction of Jerusalem. Israel's destroyed. It's not even about Israel. It's about the Egyptian-Assyrian alliance falling before the Babylonian Empire. Out of that comes a lot of displaced, exiled believers, children of the covenant, who find themselves in a foreign empire and have to figure out what meaneth this. I give you that that background information because I want you to see Daniel as a young man stuck in an empire. He did not get to choose whether or not he was there. He has very little control over his decisions. We talked about this last week. He doesn't get to decide how he is educated. He doesn't get to decide how he is known. They change his name and of the other Hebrew children. He doesn't get to decide what kind of work he will do. He doesn't get to decide when he's getting up in the morning, where he's going for the day. He seems to be the detritus of empire. And it would be, hear me, it would be very easy for Daniel to look at his other friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which is their Babylonian names, not their Hebrew names. It would be easy for him to look at them and say, you know, uh, we're just, I, I don't see how anything we do matter. We're just in the detritus of empire. Look at us here. We're just, I guess we'll just mind our own business. This is what I want to show everyone here today. It would be easy for these young men to think because they are not movers and shakers in empires that they have no value to God. What they must see is God's covenant is not built upon the empires of this world. You see, if we as a church don't see this, we will hide and we will think that what we do doesn't matter. We don't have much importance. We don't have much swing weight. We don't have much money. But God's eyes were not focused on Egypt. They were not focused on Assyria. They were not focused on Babylon. They were focused on three young Hebrew children and their good friend Daniel in a Babylonian empire. And that was the center of the spiritual battle. Here you have these young men and they're asking themselves, you know, uh, who am I? Should I just write myself off? The call of God will often seem insignificant compared to the kingdoms of this world because you will judge yourself by the kingdoms. But God values you much more than he does the kingdoms of this world. So I want you to see that they are, they must, they must see that they are in God's hand and they must see that they are covenant people. 
Otherwise, this storm will destroy them rather than make them. And God needs the storm to make them something that he can use. I want to say something I said earlier. I believe you are intentionally placed by God. I believe you are empowered by God. And I believe you are gifted by God. Please stop talking yourself down and talking yourself out of doing something for God because it doesn't seem like much. And remind yourself of this truth. Little is much when God is in it. God has a tremendous, important purpose for Daniel's life, but testing precedes ministry just as the storm precedes confidence. Your confidence isn't strong if you haven't been through some storms. But once you've been through, you see confidence come. So let me say it this way. Just as testing precedes ministry, anointing without character will cause more harm than good. And character is not built in blessing. Character is built in the storm. Therefore, the purposes of God will be revealed in Daniel by the storms that he overcomes, by the testing that he rises above. And furthermore, Daniel must believe that he is called and placed and stop, as it were, casting away his confidence that he's a nobody from nowhere overrun by empire. Daniel doesn't have the opportunity of choosing the world he wishes he could minister in. Is anybody hearing me today? He doesn't have the opportunity of choosing the world as he wishes it were. He doesn't have the opportunity of the role, the title, the place, or the authority he wishes he had. If you wait for the world to fit what you think it should be, you'll do nothing for the kingdom of God. If you wait until everything is according to what you wish you had, you will never do anything for God. Not being able to do everything you wish is not an excuse for you saying you will do nothing that you can. You have to do what Daniel did. You have to say, there's a lot of things I can't control. I can't control what, how I'm educated. I can't control what they call me. I can't control what I'm assigned to do. I can't control what arena of work they place me in. But let me see if there's something I can do. I'm preaching to somebody here today. It's time for you to look around and say, let me see if there is something I can do. So Daniel thinks about it. And he realizes they are eating meat and drinking wine offered to foreign deities, and he wants nothing to do with these foreign deities. In fact, he is looking for a way to acknowledge first to himself and secondly to the world in which he is placed that there is only one God that he serves. He is looking for a way. He, does, he has lost all the forms of worship that would have been sources of comfort to him, his parents, his grandparents. He's lost all of them. The temple has been destroyed. Levitical worship, as they have known it through feast, fast, and, um, and, and uh, there's something else I want to say, festival, feast, fast, and festival, everything that they have done, it's all over. Going on a pilgrimage every year to the temple, is over. Everything he has known is over. It would be easy for him to say, uh, well, that's the end of that then. But no, to a worshiper, that's never the end of that. He wants, he chooses 
is God. He doesn't have the benefit of tabernacle and temple. He doesn't have Levitical instruction. No, he is a worshiper. He chooses God. He says, how do I distinguish myself from all of these people worshiping all of these gods? And he thinks to himself, well, first of all, they've made the connection between their deities and the food and wine. So what if I quit eating the food and drinking the wine and he picks something he can do? Think of everything that's lost to him. If we start defining our work for God in some type of a list of hypothetical if this then I would, we will find ourselves doing nothing for God. But if we accept where we are placed and say, I can't do everything, but that's not going to allow me to excuse myself from doing anything. It's to the person who will do something that the attention of heaven is directed. All right, so watch this. Uh, Daniel doesn't have the option of looking back and remembering what was lost. That is over. He only has one option, and that is to look forward. And people who look back struggle to understand and accept people who are looking forward because of the nature of our worshiping hearts. This is why uh, when they try to rebuild the second temple, or they build the second temple, uh, the Bible gives us this, this image of the old men weeping while the young men shouted. And the interesting thing about that is oftentimes you'll hear this preached as a good thing as though they were, you know, they were doing right because they, they, had, they, they had something that was really good and now what they have isn't good. But uh, this isn't a good story in the Bible. This is a bad story in the Bible. And they miss the will of God by uh, weeping over what was lost rather than building that what was uh, available to him. In fact, when that happened, uh, they had led an expedition back to rebuild the walls and to lay the foundation of the temple. And to build the temple, they lay the foundation. And when the elders see it, they weep what was lost. And it created such a, a despair in the young men who had to build something that they stopped building, and for, I believe, 20, almost 20 years, nothing happened. God had to send another prophet. You can read the story in the story of Ezra. Another prophet back to them to revive them and have renewal, and they finally finished building uh, the, the temple, the second temple. Uh, this is an example of how sometimes we can so worship what has been that we fail to see what could be. And this is so important because we cannot, I'm so glad for our great young people here at our church, and I, I just want to say to you guys, I, I want to say I'm a little bit mad that y'all are better looking than me, but other than that, I just want to say to you, you have to build your consecration to God. It's not enough that your parents had an experience with God. You guys have to have a relationship with God. You can't spend your your life looking backwards that you won't do anything. You have to say, God has placed me. There is no accident in God's plan. I may not can do everything I wish I can do, but I will do something. So that is the story of Daniel. Daniel has lost everything. He's lost all the inheritance of worship. He's lost all the uh, control. He basically is living as a type of privileged slave now and uh, he, he's, he's stuck looking for something he can do, 
something he can do. And uh, how is Daniel going to survive this storm? Now, let me uh, take a moment here and talk about rigging for the storm because most of us have an idea of how a, how a sailing vessel works. A sailing vessel, of course, harnesses the wind, and through a combination of wind and rudder, uh, it controls its direction. Uh, it can't control wind, but if it can grab some of the energy of the wind and aim that energy with a rudder, it can go in a general direction. It doesn't get to go in an exact direction, but it can go in a general, it can tact back and forth and make progress in a general uh, direction. And these sailing ships must be built to endure the storm. And there's only one way to survive a storm if you're on a uh, sailing ship. You have to rig for the, st the storm. And uh, the rig is how you arrange your sails, how you tie down the, the vessel uh, that you are, you are on. And so real quick, let me tell you about a certain sail called a storm jib. Uh, now, if you don't have a storm jib and you're going into a storm, uh, you take your main sail and you, you reef it down until just a tiny triangle of that sail is showing above um, uh, the, the yard arm, I think it's called, and you have a mast, just a tiny bit of that sail, and it's, it's a triangle. It's, it's got to survive hurricane-force winds, and uh, if the ship tried to sail the same configuration of sails that, that it used in good weather in a storm, it would be destroyed by the storm. In order to survive the storm, it has to concentrate its efforts and really narrow down what it is going to uh, rig uh, because the point of storm rigging is to find a control that can survive the storm. Just to know, if the ship loses control, it sinks. Why? The reason why is the beam of the ship must face the waves and the wind or the seas destroy the ship. If the ship goes sideways to the waves, it is rolled by the waves and it is, it is destroyed. This isn't just true of sailing vessels. Uh, large ships even today are sunk when in a storm they lose power, they get broadside to the storm, and the storm either rolls them or the pounding breaks the back of the ship. Now its core structure shattered, the sea pulls it to pieces, and uh, the ship is lost. The ship must stay with control in the storm because to lose control in the storm is to be broken by the storm. And so to rig for a storm, they take a storm jib, which is the toughest sail material you can have with the strongest tie-downs and attachments. It's not big like a normal cell. It's very, very small, and it rigs right at the cross of the yard arm and the mast, and it's the smallest, strongest part of the ship, and they rig a storm cell right at that strongest point. Here's what I want you to see. In a storm, you have to narrow your focus. So I want to uh, make a spiritual appeal to some people who are here today. 
and you're living through a storm. You are facing a storm. You're not going to be able to do all the things you were doing when the sun was shining sweetly. The storm will destroy you if you won't focus on what really matters. If you try to keep, let, let me just reassure you, all those hobbies you have, they'll still be there wrapped up in the sail locker when the wind stops blowing. And when the storm passes, you can get them back out and you can dust them off and you can dry them out and you can, they'll be right there waiting for you. Those obligations that are hurting you at this moment of your life, wrap them up put them in a cell locker. They'll be there waiting for you. All those hobbies, all those distractions, uh, that second or third job, all those, they'll all be there. Don't worry about them. In the meantime, the storm says this of you. You can't control everything, so pick wisely on what you choose to control. Running before a storm is the acknowledgement that I'm not in total control. I only have a little bit of control. And I'm going to use, hear me somebody today, I'm going to use what little control I have to stay pointed into the wind, to stay pointed into the waves and not be destroyed by this storm. Small tough cells that keep you pointed into the wind. Another way you could survive the, the storm is, is also a very, very small uh, cell. It's just uh, rather than flown above in the air, it's flown beneath in the sea. It's called a sea anchor. The thing that a sea anchor does is it also is a cell, but instead of catching wind, it catches water, and you uh, would throw it out, tie it to the front of your boat, and because it is underwater and catching the dense water, uh, it forces the wind to push the ship away, and this sea anchor creates a draw. The water's not moving very much under. The push is from the wind, and the waves, the waves are being pushed by the wind. There's no storm beneath the surface. The storm is above the surface. And so the sea anchor connects you to some place where the storm isn't. <laughs> and it holds you because there's no storm under the water. The storm is on top of the water. And that sea anchor holds the ship. And because the wind is pushing the ship and the waves are pushing the ship, it puts you out on the end of that connection and it keeps you you pointed bow into the waves, and the storm and the waves do not break the back or roll uh, the ship that you are on. Do you see, in a storm, it's not about everything you can do. It's about the handful of things you should do. There's a ton of things in your life that you don't have any control over, and you're struggling hard enough as it is, you need to lay that down and say, I'm going to pack that away in the in the closet, and it'll be there waiting for me at another time. In the meantime, I am going to focus on what I can do. This exactly shows us the character of Daniel. This is insight into how to survive the storms of our life. Daniel is going to show four things that are a function of who he is, and it is these four simple disciplines. Each one of these things are spiritual 
spiritual disciplines, and they are going to show how we can survive the storm. I'm going to give you all four of them, and then we'll go through them each uh, uh, one after the other. Number one, spiritual integrity. Number two, spiritual discipline. Number three, spiritual calling. And number four, spiritual humility. Let's say those one more time because this is your storm cell. There's many things you could do, but let's do these things right, okay? There's many other full spinnakers you might fly to use selling terminology. There's huge cells you might could push out into the wind, but if you do it in the storm, they will drag you under and you are going to perish. Four simple things. I can't control what they call me. I can't control how they educate me. I, all these other things I can't control. Here's four simple things. Integrity, discipline, courage, and humility. And every one of those as a spiritual lesson. You see, number one, integrity. Uh, integrity doesn't matter if you're just serving yourself. If you're just serving yourself, just do whatever's easiest for you. You don't need to worry about integrity. Uh, but if you feel like you are connected to a higher purpose, if your life has mission, if you are serving a higher calling, all of a sudden, uh, spiritual integrity matters because you have discovered your purpose and you have a master. Let me repeat myself. Integrity only matters if you're serving a higher calling, you are drawn to a higher purpose, or you are serving a, a master. This is what Daniel shows to us in chapter number one, verse number eight. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Now, let me declare, let me show you something that is, is um, it's oftentimes you could preach this message um, and use defile to emphasize all the things Daniel couldn't do. Daniel is a prisoner uh, in another household. He is a valued slave. You could point all the law of Moses, and you could say, because of that, you're a disappointment. Imagine an uh, angry uh, Levite going down the list of Daniel and three Hebrew children, and all the things they can't do, they have no control over, they're not under Jewish civic law anymore. You, if you had the right personality, and you know people like this, or you wanted to criticize them... You could eat their lunch. You know why? Because there's a million things they can't do in all of the keeping. They're not asking themselves what they can't do. They're asking themselves what they can do. And they say, we're going to find something, and we're going to do it. And you know what that was for them? That was, we are not going to eat meat and wine offered unto idols. And he resolved, this is going to be the manner in which I declare my spiritual identity to a kingdom in which I am a servant, even a slave. Uh, the New Testament gives us the same challenge. Paul writes to the church at Rome, chapter 12, verse number 2, don't conform yourself to the values of this world. Instead, let God transform you by a complete change of how you think then you will be able to know the will of God. I don't want to live by the standards and the values and the ways of this world. I want to have my heart conform to the kingdom of heaven. And can the church say amen? You're going to have to fight for those values within you. You're going to have to fight to keep a consecration to God. Don't think in terms of 
perfection. Because if that's your standard, what it means is you'll do nothing. Think in terms of worship. I am not just lost upon the surface of this world. I am God's child. And I am taking my heart and giving it to God. Because this is what the Bible will show you. If you'll get your heart right, God will guide you and lead you in everything else of your life. You will learn. You will grow. You will become. Get your heart right. It doesn't matter how long you've been serving God. You can fight to get your heart right. You can repent of yourself. It doesn't matter if you have a degree from a college or uh, some theological training. If you will have a pure heart, God will lead you and guide you into the understanding you are to have. Amen. The second thing that Daniel shows as a way to overcome the storm is spiritual discipline. Daniel really isn't looking for a shortcut. He could have uh, found a sacrifice that was a pretend sacrifice. It didn't really cost him anything. Uh, He could have looked for a shortcut. It's the nature of humanity to look for shortcuts. It's the nature of all of us to find ways where we don't have to pay anything. We can have our cake and eat it too. I think one of the most uh, powerful stories of that is King David uh, bringing the ark back and here. Um, the, 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 the household that has it, they're trying to give it to him. And he's like, no, 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 I'm paying. They're like, well, we're giving it to you. No, 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 I'm paying. It should not be said that I don't value the things of God. I am looking to pay. I'm not looking to cheat. Uh, so easy for us in our flesh to try to think that spiritual efficiency means we commit nothing and we consecrate nothing, but that's the deception of the flesh. Daniel's not looking for a shortcut. He says, I am looking for something I can do. I know there's a lot I can't do. I'm looking for something I can do as a testimony to myself and a testimony to my world that I am of Yahweh. I am not just another person here in this kingdom. One thing I've noticed about life and about people is that people are always willing to pay for the things they really value. It's the things they don't really value that they struggle to pay for. I've seen people who uh, they had their they were behind on the rent. Uh, their car payments were behind. Uh, but they, they favorite band came to town and they spent three hundred dollars on a ticket. And I thought to myself, but I thought you were, you just asked me last month for money to help pay your 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 rent, and this week you're going to three hundred dollar ticket. Yeah, I notice. I'm carnal like that. I notice that kind of stuff. Here, I'm. I'm uh, we, church just gave you money to pay your rent. You're going to three. You bought a three hundred dollar ticket. Talk to me about what you really value. You valued that band. You valued that music. You didn't have a problem paying for the music, did you? You had a problem paying the rent. That's why you didn't value it. It's the nature of human heart. And just to be fair, I've done those same dumb things myself. So I'm not better than anybody. I just had a moment where I wanted to be grumpy, and I was. And uh, sorry, I'm moving along. And so <laughs> and, uh, you see how, you see how uh, if you value something, you don't, you don't have a problem paying for it. It's the stuff you don't really value. Uh, that you struggle to pay for. Daniel uh, made up in his mind. This is verse 8, chapter 1. Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food and wine given to them by the king. He was looking for discipline. He was looking for something to give to God, not as a shortcut. He's not looking to cheat the way. He is excited about finding something he can do for God. In like manner, Paul writes to the church at Rome, chapter 6, verse 13, 
Do not let any part of your body become a tool for wickedness used for sinning. Instead, give yourself completely to God because you want to be a tool in the hands of God used for his good purposes. Do you see that phrase? This is exactly what Daniel and the three Hebrew children are doing. They want to be a tool in the hand of God used for the purposes of God. That's worth something. And they're looking for a way to let God know I'm here for you. The third thing you will see him do is demonstrate spiritual courage. Um, The reason why I challenge all of you to embrace courage is because your calling is worth it. And if you're going to follow your calling, you're going to have to have courage. I've learned one thing, one thing that if you forget a lot of the advice I've I've given you over the years, that's fine. But try to remember this one. Um, You can never um, really get rid of fear. All you can do is choose courage. Um, If you fall into the trap where you're trying to overcome and and abolish your fear, that's not really how it works. Um, Your subconscious mind kind of is a rebel, and it will just do what it wants to do and wake you up in the middle of the night. You didn't know you were afraid, but (laughs) Simon says you're afraid, and so you're like afraid. You wake up in the middle of the night. You cannot banish fear. What you can do is choose courage. How do you choose courage? I'm going to give you a real quick primer. When you wake up in your midnight hour and you are filled with fear, acknowledge it, look it right in the face, say, yes, bad things may happen to good people, but if and when it happens, I choose the courage of God's promise in my life. I choose to face it with confidence. I choose to be a worshiper in the middle. You may get a bad diagnosis from a doctor sometime in your life. I've gotten at least one Um, You may get a really bad career setback. I don't want it for you. I will mourn with you. It may happen. You may face embarrassment. Yes, believe it or not, even I myself, moi, have been occasionally embarrassed, uh, mainly by myself. And you understand what I'm saying? These things must happen. happen. How do we deal with fear? We choose courage. Courage only matters if you're going to acknowledge your spiritual calling. But if you will acknowledge that calling, you're going to need courage to embrace that calling. Daniel knows, and I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. Daniel knows that without courage... He still goes through suffering. He still goes through struggle. It's just without courage that suffering and struggle has no purpose. Did did, did you guys hear what I just said? I hope you did. You're still going to have rainy days. You're still going to have ups and downs. You're still going to have struggle. It's just now without courage that struggle has no purpose. Without courage... Uh, without that willful embrace of choosing courage in the face of fear, uh, your chance for purpose is lost and your chance for mission is lost. And Daniel is on a mission. And so he chooses spiritual courage. Exodus 23 and 3, never follow the crowd in doing wrong and don't be swayed in your testimony by the mood of uh, the majority. Isn't that a, isn't that a great scripture? Uh, how about this one, 1 Corinthians 16, 13? Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Somebody say that with me. Be courageous. Be strong. Choose courage in your storm. And lastly, Daniel demonstrates humility in the middle of his storm. Um, This is difficult for some people to embrace because 
um, uh, they, they feel like the right thing to do uh, when you find yourself in Babylon is to reject Babylon, as it were, if you'll forgive my French here, kind of damn them all to uh, judgment and just, uh, just heap contempt upon the lot of them. Um, there is a certain kind of Christian who um, they think righteousness is heaping contempt upon the world. And then they wonder why they have zero influence. Zero influence. Uh, I, I acknowledge that I'm sympathetic sometimes to a lot of the really negative things that I see angry Christians on social media saying and they're, they're trashing this and they're blasting that. And I, You know what? I'm not unsympathetic. I, I, I just am not going to do that. Why? Because... The moment someone senses your contempt, they cut the connection between you and them. Contempt kills connection. And now they are done with you. And they will curse you with worse set of words than you curse them. It's done. Now, Daniel, to a certain personality type, is going to be... How shall we say this? Um, he's at risk of being a compromiser to a certain personality type because he expresses humility. But look how his humility makes him into something, someone that God can use. Look how his humility. Watch this. What does he do? Well, Daniel stomps his foot, sneers at everybody and says, I'm not eating meat offered to idols and you no good dirty dogs. Y'all just, I'm not. That's not what he does, is it? Uh, that's not what he does. Um, then Daniel asked the chief official for permission to eat other things other than what? The meat and the wine offered to idols. Now the God, now God, the Bible says, had given the chief official Great respect for Daniel. Here's a young man of influence. Here's a young man. You see, when you choose spiritual integrity, spiritual discipline, and spiritual courage, it's natural for people to say, that is a unique individual right there. This official has great respect for Daniel. And so because they have connection and communication, he expresses his heart to this young man. Now, it would have been easy for him to say, no. But they have, watch this, relationship. What kind of a relationship? The kind of relationship where you express your vulnerabilities one to another. And this official says, I'm afraid. You don't say that to people you don't like. I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who ordered you to eat his food and wine. And I, I'm worried that if you aren't as healthy as these other young men... I fear the king will have me beheaded. Now, that's a fine civil justice system they're living in right there. So thank God we've moved on past that. Uh, Daniel, then Daniel says, well, I don't care what you're doing. I'm telling you right now, there's one way and it ain't your way. You know? No, that's not what he does, is it? That's just another type of vanity. Now, being hard-headed has its place, but it's usually not when we're working with people. All right, moving along. And so he... he he considers this, and he, uh, he talks it over with the guard. He's a young person of influence. He talks it over with his guard. He could have hated his guard. 
Do you see? Are you seeing this? He could have hated his guard. You're a simple, you're a symbol of a patriarchal oppressive society. I don't speak to you. He talks it over with his guard. And uh, he says this. The Bible says, Daniel offered a suggestion. Isn't that an interesting word? He offered a suggestion. And he says, look, just let us test for 10 days a diet of vegetables and water. I just want to say here, I don't know who this is for, but I feel like... A <laughs> I don't know who this is for here today, but if the Lord's speaking to you, this is for you. I have a suggestion. Try a diet of vegetable and water for 10 days and see if you don't look better and feel better. Moving along in the most religious manner. Let us test just these 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water and then see how healthy we look compared to the young men eating the king's food. Then you can decide what's Daniel doing. I acknowledge this is your area. I'm not just trying to rebel. I'm humbling myself. You usually will impress people much more for the kingdom and much more for your God through the actions of humility than you are will through an action of militancy and anger. After all, blessed are the meek. Decide for yourself. And so the attendant says, all right, we're going to try this. And uh, the guard let them eat their own food. And uh, they are better looking. They are a lean green eating machine and just let this be a word of the Lord in your life right now if you would like to be yourself be a lean green eating machine uh, vegetables and water go forth thou art healed while the other young men are hung over and bloated Daniel and the Hebrew children are sleek as a greyhound while the other young men are laying on their couches like a pride of lion with too much to eat Daniel and the three Hebrew children they are fit as a fiddle I want you to see this the fourth thing Daniel shows in his storm where his nation has been destroyed he's lost control of everything he went from being a free nobleman to an empire owned slave the fourth thing he shows is spiritual humility. This is how you bring positive outcomes of negative circumstances, through spiritual humility. God will use spiritual humility in your life to bring positive outcomes through the negative mess you're living through right now. Humble yourself before the Lord. Acknowledge his way. You may not have chose this for yourself, but here you are. Let God turn it into good. Simple things. I can't control a lot of things in my storm. This is my storm rig. I'm going to get these four things right. Spiritual integrity, spiritual discipline, spiritual courage, and spiritual humility. And out of that comes a, a positive outcome to a negative situation. Because although this is what the storm can do, the storm can kill you. It can, it can break the ship of your life. It can roll you under. It can destroy you. It can also make you. It can also give you a confidence. It also can bring you out on the other side, still going to where you intended to go. Daniel is going to bring about 
uh, a real spiritual word of witness to the then greatest empire of the world. And he's going to do it in God's time. But in the here and now, the wind is blowing and the waves are pounding. And so he has reefed the sail down to the simple things he can control. And he is embracing uh, integrity, discipline, courage, and humility. And out of that, God brings victory through the storm. I'm preaching to you today. I don't know what you're going through. You're either in a storm, like the preacher used to say, going into a storm or coming out of a storm. We are all of us storm-tossed. We are all of us living lives of adversity. You can let it be something that brings glory to God, or you can just serve yourself and try to find an easy way. There is no easy way. The difference is when you try to serve you, there's nothing that lasts. But if you'll serve God, He will use your life to stamp the very pages of history with what He can do through a submitted heart. Stand with me all across the house here today. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going, to, we're going to go deeper into worship here today. And I, I'd like all of you who will to step out of the chair you're in and come gather across the front. If, if you haven't been vaccinated, then you probably should stay back. I totally understand that. But if you've been vaccinated and you're comfortable, I'd like to invite you to step out of the chair you're in and come stand across the front. We're going to bring needs to the Lord here today. We're going to pray for people who are sick. Our worship team is going to take us deeper into praise and worship. I want God to do something in this house here today. And I want it to start with me. I want it to, to flow to you. Let's pray together right now all across the church. Lord Jesus, we are believing that you will bring us through all the storms of our life. We are believing that you will make us victorious over all the despair that perhaps we are experiencing in our spiritual journey. Lord, there's people here that are listening today. And they have considered quitting. They've considered giving up because the storm has so so limited them it has so constrained them lord help them see that they need to grip a few small things rather than trying to do everything they maybe once would have done they need to focus on what you can do through them god i pray that they would have spiritual integrity in their heart i pray that they would have spiritual courage in their life i pray they would have spiritual discipline in their walk i pray that they would let humility come to full flower in their heart and spirit in jesus name we pray in Jesus' name we pray. All across the house, would you lift your voice? Would you lift your hands? Would you call upon the name of the Lord? Lord, you know every individual who needs a touch in this house. Let your Holy Spirit work among us here today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.